and at the same time, there are a lot of others whose reality is not that good, right? Um, and maybe they're in you know, crippling debt because of their education or, you know, who, who knows what the story might be. But I think for them, you know, I, the reason I want to be in education is because I think it's quintessential that we invest in young people because they are literally the future of tomorrow. And I feel like right now in society, we don't pay attention enough to like the experiences and realities of a lot of young people when looking at the world, right? And the world that they have to grow up in and the world that they have to raise children in, right? It's like, you know, how, like, just, just, if you see all the negative, you can't help but become hopeless or become helpless, you know, like, okay, what can I do in the face of all this? Um, and I think just, there needs to be a lot of sort of untangling and, and, and dialogue around that. And also knowing that, you know, we, we do need to prioritize, you know, providing young people the best possible, you know, lives. Hello, you're listening to the Courage to Create podcast, the show that our oldest son, who is a high school junior, talks about education. If you're new to the show, you can check out the introduction episode where I explain why I decided to start this project. In this episode, Isamu talked about a college fair that both parents and students were invited to attend. He also talked about the field trip and about tutoring a middle school student for the first time. Finally, he talked about deeper learning conference that is going to take place in March at High Tech High facilities in Point Loma. Welcome everyone to week 20. You know, it was kind of funny. Um, earlier this week, there was a college admissions workshop on Wednesday at this high school. Um, but before that, there was a virtual seminar that we had with our college admissions counselor. And essentially, he was preparing us for like, you know, what should we expect? What you know, what should we know? Um, and also answering some questions about the college admission process in general. And it was all virtual, but you know, all of 11th grade is invited. So essentially you have, you have 60 people on a Zoom call. And I think for most of these people, it's like the first time in a while being on a Zoom meeting. Mm -hmm. And it was funny seeing how nearly everyone is like camera off black box. Um, and it's so weird for me because I work with an organization that's pretty much 100% virtual. And so it's obvious that every time, you know, we meet, we have our camera on and we're just mics open and chatting freely. Um, but it was just funny to see how, oh yeah, the Zoom days when no one turned on their camera. <laughs> and yeah, that was just kind of funky. And, you know, yeah, I, I still don't really understand why that is like out of just shyness or embarrassment or knowing you don't have to do it so you don't do it or other people are not turning on their cameras so I don't have to it's like for me it's no longer a big deal anymore but I guess a lot of people are like yeah I, it's not something that's worth it um but regardless this was all in preparation for a college admissions uh, workshop that was hosted at um a high school not not mine but a different one um and five high schools within San Diego were invited to this work uh, like you know session that was combined with a college fair where you know you maybe had 70 colleges from all across the country come to this specific thing um and it, it, it it's like very interesting how there was only five high schools called to this event right and you know 
Haitakai Mesa was one of them. And so it's a very exclusive event. Um, and you got to see kids from but from other um, high schools. A lot of these, I think, private schools. Private, and yeah. yeah, very sort of elitist culture. Um, so that was, that was interesting. And essentially what they did was they separated us in these classes, so to speak. And they had, you know, one or two admissions officer within these classes. Um, and going, they were going over uh, case studies of different uh, potential applicants. And they essentially set up like um, a scenario of like, okay, here is a fictitious school, high school, I mean, I'm in college, um, that is looking for, you know, someone to admit, someone to um, withhold or waitlist and someone to deny. And, you know, they each had, you know, like 10 pages resumes and we, we had to like comb through them and look at the letters of recommendations, their transcript, their essays, their activities, you know, their, their school life, right? And we essentially, it was just a 90-minute open uh, discussion about, you know, okay, why would we admit this person versus that person, you know, and like, okay, look at the grades here, but also look at the activities here and the reasoning they have in their essays and, you know, do they match sort of the qualities that the college is looking for? Um, and it was very interesting because, you know, it was non-unanimous. So we had votes of like who we would think and we did not agree and it fluctuated over time, you know, as we, as we progressed through the discussion. Um, and yeah, it was just a lot of uh, fruitful dialogue over, you know, thinking about, okay, what goes into the, the, you know, the process of admitting or denying someone and, you know, what kind of things should you, you know, put on your application or what things should you be striving for to uh, get your, to better your chances of actually getting in. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, this idea of fit, which is like, you know, do you match with this college? And, you know, you could be an exceptional student in, you know, certain regards, but for that specific college, you know, it may not be what they're looking for. And I think that's, that's, that's the thing, big thing to keep in mind is like, you know, when you do apply to colleges, do they align with your values and your aspirations and your intents? Um, because ultimately that's what they'll be looking for. They want students that are going to complete college. I mean, both from, you know, a success standpoint, but I think more so from a monetary standpoint. I mean, you want people paying tuition for, you know, full four years and get that diploma, right? And I mean, and it's, it's not just the mon money side. It's also because, you know, it actually benefits that person too. So really it's like, you know, if you do apply to this college and want to go to this college, is it the right one for you? And I think a lot of people can get easily swayed by just the prestige and status of the, of the name itself. And, you know, I researched this, but like there's about 339 colleges in California itself and then over 8,000 across America. Like that's a lot of colleges. Yeah, if you ask the average person, how many colleges can you list? I mean, it's probably like, you know, 10, 20, 30, maybe 50. Yeah. But 50 out of, you know, the 8,000 just within this country <laughs> is actually insane. And and I've been thinking about this a lot, but like, you know, and, and some people say this too, but a really good college is a really good college, period. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, if you have two relatively good colleges that are like a good fit for you, it's like taking this one over that one isn't, significantly i mean you can't try for this there's no trial you could do to figure out you know which life you would have led but like mm. i don't think there's like such a massive difference um i more so think it's like you know how do you approach it you know do you do you take on the opportunities do you um pursue the you know open doors that are available for you like it's a, it's a lot up to you and so you know you could get accepted to a really good school and good is also a vague term but you can accept it to something and not put in the work, not put in the effort and have, you know, a not so good experience. Um, 
I know, conversely, like you could get admitted to a you know decent school that's maybe not as prestigious. Maybe most people don't know the name, but like if you make if you try to make the most out of it, I think you'll have a great time and a great experience and a great education, right? And you know, my, the question that I bring up is like why you know is the amount of effort and mental energy and stress and pressure that you put into making the decision of which college you go to is that worth it in the long? run where it's like you know in the end once you have your degree in whatever major and once you got to do all the classes and experiences and you know connections that you wanted to like i think it's fine either way you know and i don't really see that much of a big difference um so did the admission officer in the case study session did they disclose which college they're from yeah they did at the end at the end um i think mine was from usd um oh okay yeah university of san diego mm -hmm. which is not local yeah very local and yeah and, and also interestingly like the vote that the students decided was the complete opposite of what the admissions officer said yeah so it differs between classrooms so it's not there's not one right answer or one wrong answer you know it's like you know through the discourse you know how do you how can you reason for you know wanting to accept this student over that student um and so it was interesting and you know you definitely learn a lot of like the the non the non-enviable job that they have you know figuring out which people to admit or deny and yeah i mean and this whole thing like the whole time i was you know sitting through it i'm just i'm just thinking like man this whole thing is like so gamified and you know it is like it is such it is such a game that you can either you know play to the t and like really be really good at it um and also just you know if you just kind of waddle through like you probably won't get very far and you know people who are intentional and very sharp and know exactly what they're looking for and know exactly what to put on their transcripts and whatnot and can curate it very well they are the ones who are likely to succeed and i feel like that's not that's not necessarily a good representation of who the person is right like you know there could be really excellent people but if one is better curating that than another you know that's suddenly in the eyes of admissions officer you know like one person is better than the other and it's just based on you know what you see in this like 10 page document um and i mean that just leads to a larger question of the you know i mean i mean larger themes of like you know job applications and stuff like that it's like you know we say on one hand we want to give the best opportunity to as many people as possible and yet at the same time we want the best talent out there right so there's inherent competition amongst people and not everyone's going to get the job right and you know is that fair um, is I guess one question and you know even if that's fair or not fair like that is the reality is the other thing and I mean it goes back to a quote um, that my teacher my math teacher once said it's like he has to teach students for tomorrow but also for today you know and today is where you know there's inherent competition you you have to you know be sharp you have to be always looking for advantages over others in order to get the positions that you want right and to strive high and climb the ladder so yeah it's just you know i think about these things and i think about it from a very survivalist standpoint and you know competition and i mean that's the whole reason you know life exists life ex thrives in competition and you know this is why we have humans but at the same time we also have the capacity for compassion and a more compassionate approach probably you know isn't like this you know and and yeah just that idea of compassion it almost goes against the human nature of survival and wanting to be you know have the tactical advantage over others um and yet for some reason we are the only species that can hold that and ha that can have that concept so if we can you know why not use it why not leverage it 
right? Um, anyway, that's a whole other philosophical <laughs> uh, ramble. Moving on, uh, this week in humanities, um, one of the first things we did was uh, watch the news, which is a ritual that my uh, humanities teacher has to essentially just stay updated on the world around. Uh, we we watched this interesting um, piece on a new biometric payment, which is where you can hover your, the palm of your hand over the sensor, and with infrared um, light or something, it can like detect the the grooves in your hand like that's specific to you and also the veins behind it that's supposedly like a very high um like a, a non-replicable sort of security so it's essentially like supposedly a safer way than just passwords or credit cards or whatnot and eventually there's like a chinese company that's you know wanting to innovate in the space and wanting to like move this into all sorts of things for like you know payments um you know getting into rooms getting to gyms and stuff like that and like it, it's super personalized identification um which is interesting on one hand in terms of technology and also it's like okay does this bring issues of you know privacy or security or data um and and what do we do about that and the funny thing is like before we had credit cards when everyone used cash or check you know when the advent of credit cards you know was a thing people brought up the same topics the same you know oh what if that what if you know you could do all these things and yet now it's like normalized you know like 20 years later mm -hmm. and and so i think a very similar thing is probably going to happen where it's like yeah this new technology is like you know we can talk and be skeptical about you know oh how is this technology going to affect privacy and and cybersecurity and whatnot but then probably like you know 10 15 years down the line it's going to be so normalized to the point where we forget about these conversations in the first place um and so yeah uh, that was just one interesting thing that we watch on the news and 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 the other news segments are mostly about geopolitics whether it's the ukraine russian conflict or the uh, israel um, Palestine, Palestine conflict, um, and a lot of geopolitical conflicts happening around the world at this moment, and it really got me thinking, like, from a philosophical standpoint, you know, what is, like, I think it is sort of human nature to fight, right, um, and, you know, back to that point where, like, yes, we can hold compassion, yes, we can find peaceful ways of communicating and, and finding resolution, right, like, that's also something we can do, but, you know, just look around the world when things are kind of the most dire. I mean, even uh, Ecuador or, yeah, Ecuador, you know, there's huge, massive fighting conflicts going on. Um, and, but, you know, when, when, when things become dire, when things become about survival and about territory and about food and, and money and, and, and beliefs, you know, things get really violent very quickly. And, you know, I don't think the problem is like overpopulation. Because I do believe that, you know, if we put our brains together and if we actually strive for a better world for everybody, you know, then I think we can get to a point where everyone can have, you know, a perfectly normal, you know, lifestyle and, and live a life and, and lead a life of, you know, joy and happiness and stability. And I think stability is, you know, such a big thing that so many people um, fear for because, you know, at any point, if you're in a, a country that's at war, at any point, everything that you hold dear, everything that you, you, you have taken for granted, like food or running water or a roof over your head can be stripped away from you, yeah. right? That fear, that fear, you know, not only is it the things getting away from you, it's also just that the incessant knowledge of that 
in the back of your mind, that stress that accumulates is also just really poisonous to actually lead, you know, a, a good life. And I think, you know, so many people around the world right now live in that state. Um, and, and maybe your country isn't in conflict, but you can still have that fear of things getting taken away from you. I mean, I know in America, you know, with healthcare, right? Like if you, you know, break your leg, will you have to declare bankruptcy, right? For some people who don't, can't afford, you know, uh, health insurance, that is a reality that is in the back of their head, right? And I feel like, you know, we want to get to a point in the world where people do not have to worry about that, where people can live their life relatively stable, relatively happy, you know, just just do good work, um, you know, maybe raise a family and get their school kids into a good education and then, you know, retire and have a perfectly average funeral. Like these things are like sort of the basic, you know, things that people want, like people expect to have. And yet it's not, you, you just don't see it across the world right now. And, and, you know, on the one hand, some people might argue that, oh, we have just way too many people. We can't support a lifestyle like this. But I would argue that's like a very pessimistic view. And I think like it actually is possible to do, provide those things for everybody. But we just really have to get away from this sort of tribalistic you know, mentality of them versus us and, and really break down these borders and categorizations and you know these ways of artificially boxing each other into certain people. And, and, and I think once you know, we can sort of elevate beyond that and realize that, you know, everyone's just trying to do their best here, right, on earth. And and it's in and for people of power and people who can make policies and stuff like that, you know, just having that compassion and empathy and just wanting to, you know, provide that for like, that accessibility to everyone, I think is like, you know, a core principle that, you know, people should strive for. Um, and so, you know, those are kind of the thoughts that are running through my mind when watching these news about geopolitical com conflicts and stuff like that. And it's also very interesting if you think about the generational gap between, you know, people who are, have lived and are, you know, have relative stability in their 40s and 50s and maybe even late 30s versus young people today who are, you know, they're in this world where they're, they look at the news and they see geopolitical conflicts. They see, you know, migrant crises. They see uh, climate change. And 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 they're tr and they themselves, you know, young people are trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do in this world? How am I going to sustain a living, right? And and for a lot of people, especially with, you know, the economy and rising costs and everything, like, you know, uh, for some people are very successful and they can do great things and they're on the right path. And at the same time, there are a lot of others whose reality is not that good, right? Um, and maybe they're in, you know, crippling debt because of their education or, you know, who, who knows what the story might be. But I think for them, you know, I, the reason I want to be in education is because I think it's quintessential that we invest in young people because they are literally the future of tomorrow. And I feel like right now in society, we don't pay attention enough to like the experiences and realities of a lot of young people when looking at the world right and the world that they have to grow up in and the world that they have to raise children in right it's like you know how like just just if you see all the negative you can't help but become hopeless or become helpless you know like okay what can i do in the face of all this um and i think just there needs to be a lot of sort of untangling and 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 dialogue around that and also knowing that you know we, we do need to prioritize, you know, providing young people the best possible, you know, lives. 
um, that they can lead because that will directly, you know, impact, you know, not just the economy, but also, you know, the well-being of the entire planet, right? And how they think about, you know, you know, the environments and whatnot. And I think eventually they will become the leaders. And do we want them to have, you know, a child or like a, like a young hood of being in this sort of helplessness and hopelessness? Or do we want to instill in them sort of the positivity and optimism such that when they come in positions of power, they can provide even better, you know, decisions um, for, for the posterity. And I think that's where, you know, you know, like there needs to be a lot more conversations about this, um, and whatnot. But anyway, that's just like Tuesday. Um, <laughs> yeah. So in biology, we, yeah, just pivoting here by Bi biology, um, we studied about trophic levels and the food web. Um, we also did a little lab on batteries, and so we learned how, you know, um, electrons pass through the wire and how that creates ions and transfer and, you know, all, all, all the good stuff. And also, we learned a lot about space exploration, especially in the biology honors. We had this sort of slide deck that we went through, and so we examined sort of what's the current state of space exploration from, like, um, from a bunch of different viewpoints, and that was fascinating uh, for me as well. And another thing... Um, I tutored for the first time this week, and that was really exciting, and I had a lot of fun. Essentially, um, I think uh, the person I tutored was in seventh grade, um, and it was regarding math, and it, it was just one hour, but I really, really loved it um, because you know I just love being able to see people learn for themselves, and it was really interesting how I was constantly examining myself as a facilitator in this space rather than like a quote teacher mm. um, and I don't even like the word teacher or tutor I think facilitator is key because really you know, the learning happens if they're given the right conditions to do it and I say this all the time but especially for you know something like math it was interesting because you know I would give him some problems and he would be able to solve them like really well and I would ask him okay you know explain these steps and he would be able to do that too but then maybe I give him a different problem that, you know, use slightly different numbers, but the same structure. And then there's kind of a roadblock. And I think, you know, that is just like a lack of practice, you know, lack of familiarity with these numbers. And all of a sudden, you know, you kind of get stuck because the, the brain doesn't recognize these things. And it's like, it goes into uh, like a default mode, which is like not knowing how to do things. Um, but I think that one of the greatest things that you know I was able to provide is like, you know, we were doing um, a topic on fractions and, you know, I asked him, you know, how would you explain what a fraction is? Pretending like I don't know what it is. And he struggled, you know, he thought for a minute and he's like, you know, it's actually oddly difficult to explain what a fraction is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a difficult concept to actually articulate. So then I prompted him and, you know, instead of me just saying the answer, right, you know, which is why I think most teachers would do. I then prompted him, okay, could you write out some examples of fractions? And so then he wrote out, you know, one half or one fourth or three quarters or whatever. And then I asked him, okay, why did you write those down? You know, what do these numbers mean? Why is there a bar in the middle? And then he could start, you know, beginning to explain, you know, you know what those things mean. Um, you know, the bar means dividing the one on the top, you're the one divided by two. And so that's kind of, you know, a, a half of something. And so, you know, as you start, as he started, you know, talking to himself, really, you know, 
um, he was able to learn more about it within himself. And then I, you know, drew a circle and then asked him, okay, shade one half of this area or shade one quarter of this area. And of course he was able to do that exceptionally. And then I asked him, okay, how do you know about that? You know, how, why, why did you do that? And him explaining it, he actually just explained what a fraction is in the process of doing that. He couldn't initially, mm -hmm. but in the process of actually deliberating with the numbers, deliberating with the fundamental concept of what a fraction was, he was able to explain it very well, you know? And I think that was a moment of great growth and learning. And so those, you know, are the moments that I really strive for in all subjects within all people, right? That is That moment is like what I live for and why I want to be so invested in education. Because I love seeing, you know, other people like realize that they can learn right and develop that learner's identity um but of course you know i'm also thinking at the same time this is amazing that i can get one-on-one -on -one personalized instruction for this for this kid but in the reality you know a classroom is one teacher to maybe 25 to 30 students right and in some schools around the world it's like 40 students or 50 students right in which case that becomes really difficult and and actually unlocking the moment of learning within each individual person is just like almost impossible at that scale in which case you know i'm also thinking about how does the facilitation change you know how do you have to change the dynamics or, or or the instruction or how you approach it or how you create the culture or space and these are all questions that you know i am really you know thinking about a lot because it's something it's part of my master practitioner project too it's like facilitating human growth what's the best way to do that you know from a systemic viewpoint um especially when it's like on a scaled level um and so yeah i think but you know, this tutorship was the first time I did it and I really enjoyed it. And you know, I'm going to continue to do this. Um, and I think this is just the launch pad for you know, continued um, um, deliberation and practice facilitating um, and hopefully eventually to you know, a greater audience of more people. And by the t that time, I really hope to have you know, honed in on what are the key elements such that you, know, you can make sure that every single person can have those moments of learning within themselves um, and I think, yeah, it just gets me really, really excited to think about, you know, those possibilities. Uh, finally, um, I'll just talk about our project, the Lithium Valley project. And so for the first time this Thursday, we actually uh, took a field trip up to the Salton Sea. It's a two and a half hour to three hour drive, depending on traffic and the weather. And, you know, we, it was actually... I was baffled by how the teachers pulled it off, but like somehow, you know, using six vans or, you know, six, seven vehicles, we managed to bring nearly 60 students all the way, you know, like nearly a hundred miles east to this place, which is like almost in the middle of nowhere, right? Like you're surrounded by hay, bales of hay and agriculture and all these things. And we actually got to first visit some, um, like, park area um that was like they had like it was a volcano apparently and so you had like volcano volcanic rock and there was like obsidian all on the ground and so that was really cool um and then we also got to go to this wildlife refugee um that was um about bird watching and you know conservation in that area um but you know i was baffled by it. they brought 60 kids on this trip and like we all managed to get everywhere safely um and we were you know all there and you know taking soil samples and water samples and whatnot and also like we were and one thing about the place is like there was a lot of smog and i'm pretty sure that's like photochemical smog which is essentially a pollution mm -hmm. um and so it's when pollutants go into the air and then they react with the sun's you know uv rays and that turns into different kinds of um like 
uh, greenhouse gases uh, in the air, so it's not good. Um, but you know that's also what we're studying is like you know how does pollution affect this area, uh, and how does that affect people in that area. Um, so it was really enlightening. Um, but most of all, you know, I really enjoyed being able to talk to my teacher um, in the car for like five six hours total um and you know really get you know like what's her life experience um being a teacher um being a teacher and being you know a mother and you know all all the different things and she got to know a lot about me and i think you know this personal connection between you know your the adults and students in the space i think is just really wonderful and so i thoroughly enjoyed that you know generative connection uh that was that was that was there um and Today, I finally got to meet with a person from the Graduate School of Education who's part, you know, in charge of organizing uh, the Deeper Learning Conference, which is happening in March. Um, and apparently they have booked, so essentially how it works is it's a three-day, you know, uh, conference. And the first two, the first day and the last day, they have these workshops, um, which is like essentially where people... Um, you know, facilitate workshops with the participants um, about a variety of topics and you can choose which ones you go into. And she has booked two of them, like set aside two of them for student-led workshops. And she was offering, you know, perhaps there's something that I can facilitate um, for them as a workshop. Um, and already there's a student at the uh, other another campus that was looking into you know a workshop about how to set up a student ambassador program um, in their school mm. and so like that's one topic yeah. um, and there, but there's still you know a, another topic open and so I would love to collaborate um, with whoever student ambassador wants to uh, and, and brainstorm some you know, ideas for workshops and because I think that would be really really awesome and you know they've said it for a long time but they always want to be more intentional about bringing youth voice and not just youth voice but like actual youth into the space and actually have them have you know the the um the the the, the power and, and leverage to be able to actually influence you know people and i think that is you know just it's re i'm really happy to finally see you know that especially with education when it's designed literally for children right you're designing with you're co-creating you know that structure with youth and i think that's super important and you know it's kind of strange how it's come until now that we finally figured this out, but I'm just glad, you know, progress is moving somewhere. Um, so yeah, that has been my week, a uh, really fruitful and um, a packed week, but uh, I, I love a lot of it, so. Wow, that's a full week. Yeah, definitely. All right, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This year, I will also be volunteering at the Deeper Learning Conference in March so that I can learn what happens behind the scenes. We are actually planning on bringing this conference to Japan this summer. As usual, please share your comments and questions. Thank you for listening and see you next time.